I'm sorry that we had to cancel Friday night. That hurt me deeply, more than I can say. Um, we did get a hold of uh, Dave Reaver's group. They were en route here, but from somewhere else, and they were actually headed to the Western Slope this morning, so it didn't, it didn't deter them too bad. Um, but the, 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 this is the thing, if you didn't realize this, Colorado Springs is the only place that got this snow. We are it. I mean, Denver got some too, but like Pueblo, nothing. So anytime anybody outside of Springs was thinking, what, what's your problem? There's no, there's no problem here. But, um, but I did talk with, um, with them about, I think we're, we're trying to work on this, and I wanted to run it by you and see what you think. But uh, we're trying to redo uh, Dave Reaver coming here for the men on a Friday night. We're thinking about doing this Mother's Day weekend and having him over the weekend too. Uh, so he'd do Friday night and a Mother's Day. That sound like a good idea? I think so. Yeah, I, regardless of what you said there, I still think so. So, <clears throat> yeah, that sounded that sounded like a vote, right? But it it wasn't. But uh, no, I really, I really, if if you are not, how many of you have never heard Dave Reaver speak? Never. Handful of people. Um, this is this is not something you want to miss. Um, he's just he's just different than everybody else in a lot of ways, but he's, uh, he's just different, and he, God really uses him. God anoints him. It's just, it's just, a, just a powerful um, testimony that he has, and then just, just anything he speaks about is, is just great. My, my daughter um, called me a couple months ago, and she said, hey, we're having this guy at um, Southwestern. His name's uh, Dave Rover, and uh, you, you should go online and watch him. So I went online and watched him, and uh, she said, you should have him at Church of Bargate. Like, well, we are in about a month. And she said, because I suggested it, sure. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So, um, so we do have, do have exciting news. Um, the, so one of our pastors in India has a child. You guys know that. Um, the other pastor just had their baby this week. We have pictures of said baby. <clears throat> Little girl. So, um, if you were not around here when Santosh had his baby, then this is going to be new for you. But um, I am supposed to name this child too. <sighs> the pressure, <laughs> the weight of this. Oh, so I, I text Noor a uh, couple days. What's that? We should. That's a gr actually a great idea. <clears throat> um, <laughs> here's, uh, here's what happens with this. There's some things that are tricky here. I didn't know this when I was naming uh, Devaj, but the, the, um, there's, there's Hindu background and Muslim background in, in India. Well, the name I picked for him had a Muslim, it's a Christian name, but came from the Muslim side of language there. And that's not okay, uh, because they're, they're both from the Hindu side. Uh, Noor was from the Muslim Side. So that's a little thing. So I had to look up Hindu Christian names. Uh, so, I mean, it's not as easy as you think to do this. Then the pressure of this, that some child in India, I'm naming them. But, so you, you know we are having a lunch today, as the announcement said. Uh, we'll just see what the weather. We were going to have, like, tables outside. That's probably not a possibility now. Um, probably. I mean, some of you may want to. I don't know. But uh, so we're going we're gonna to be fitting everybody in around here and doing some things, but we really do want you to stay. 
the, the Castillos will be in, and probably some of their uh, staff will be with them uh, in second service. We're going to introduce them, have them say some stuff. And, but, um, but, but you really want to get to know these people. They're just, they're just solid, solid people. They, we, Lynn and I went and had dinner with them last night and, and just, just getting to know them. They, so the official name of their church is um, Oasis Church, or, the, or the, um, you'll see on the logo, Iglesia Oasis. And uh, just, we're just excited about what's happening with them, what they're doing, they're building their, their, their mission and their, their idea of who they are, what they're going to do. We're, we're just having lots of fun conversations with them about that. And you're going to see a lot more stuff around here. So this week and next week, we're going to be having lunch with, um, with their congregation. And actually, the, the uh, Central Latin District Secretary... Uh, is going to be speaking today in their 2 o'clock service. So the service is 2 o'clock here uh, for the first time. So just excited about this. Um, just, I just, this is my heart, passion. A uh, lot of my background is, is in the uh, Hispanic community. I grew up in that community. I uh, grew up in El Paso area. Um, and, and just all of the, the stuff with that is just, this is my heartbeat. It's my passion. So just looking forward to it. So th- this morning, I want to... I want to um, look at something that maybe you haven't processed before. I remember the, f- the first time that I really thought through this. Now, the, the way that I thought through this was a little differently than the way I'm going to present it this morning, but I, I was a youth pastor. This was in the mid-90s, and, and um, I, uh, I, I remember having this like a revelation, an epiphany, that, that God has really given me certain things. That uh, and 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 then the the epiphany I had, and I'm going to walk down this just a little bit this morning, but this isn't the main focus, is that God was really proud of what I was doing. And that's not the right way to say it. He was proud of me, not necessarily what I was doing. Um, I, this is one of the things that I still had to kind of. In fact, that the fact that I just said that is maybe I haven't unlearned it as much as I thought. I always kind of think first about what I'm doing in relationship to God rather than who I am in relationship to God. And, and God really showed me during this time frame in my life that he was very proud of me, not just necessarily what I'm doing, but he's proud of me. And that was a big revelation for me. I never thought about God like that. I'd never thought about um, him thinking like that about us. But the fact that he uses the term father for himself to help us understand who he is, it also helps us understand who we are in relationship to him. And so th- this this morning, I want us to look at the fact that God trusts us, and he trusts us with some, some basic things. And I'm going to go over some of the basics, but hopefully as I'm walking through this, you, you just let the Holy Spirit get in your head and, and show you a lot more stuff than what I'm going to talk about this morning, that God really does trust us. He trusts us with stuff. So I want to start off in Numbers chapter 12. It says, so immediately the Lord called to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam and said, Go out to the tabernacle, all three of you. Now, this was not a good moment, okay? Aaron and Miriam had been complaining about Moses, complaining about... Um, one of the things they said was, can God only speak to Moses? Can he speak to us too? Um, why is Moses such a big deal? Why is Moses so important? Guys, let me help you just, just for a little sidestep here. As a pastor, I have heard stuff like this all my life, okay? As a pastor, well, who do you think you are? I didn't call me to this. I think I'm doing what God's told me. I don't, it, it doesn't bother me that sometimes that just seems to irritate some people. I, I have nothing. I got nothing for you. 
That's just it. God's called me to do this. In fact, this is one of the things that we were talking with Pastor Sam last night about was as he's starting this church, and, and this is new to him. He wasn't trying to be in ministry, all this kind of stuff. It's just God had just placed him, put all this stuff, just, it's just happening. And, um, but he grew up in ministry. His parents were ministers, all this kind of stuff. And, and I told him, I said, Sam, when God calls you, he calls you. You can't ever apologize to them for that. God's the one who calls you. People don't call you. So then, therefore, ultimately, you don't answer to people. You have to answer to God. Now, that's a little tricky because you work with people, and, and there is an answerability kind of thing, responsibility kind of thing. But at the end of the day, you've got to be responsible to God, uh, first, foremost, primary, everything, right? That, that's a little challenging. Well, Moses is trying to do the best he can, Aaron Miriam picking on him, this kind of stuff, and, and God just gets tired of this. He gets tired of them picking on Moses, so he calls them out. All right. So the three of them went to the tabernacle. Then the Lord descended in the pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tabernacle. Aaron and Miriam, he called, and they stepped forward. I, I've thought about this before as a pastor. I, there's been times I'm like, God, could you do that right now? But here's always what happens in my head when I think that. Because what I'm saying when I think that is, God, somebody's picking on me. Can you call them out? That's what I'm saying. Here's what always goes through my head. What if I'm not right? And he calls us all to the tabernacle, per se, or the woodshed. And, uh, and when we get there, I'm not as right as I thought I was. Right? You understand what I'm saying, right? Just be careful. Yeah, I'm saying this for you in your own life, too. Be careful, because we're not always as right as we think we are. And if God starts taking the people to the woodshed, you guys understand what I mean by that, right? Some of the younger crowd doesn't have a clue when I say take you to the woodshed. My, my dad never took me to the woodshed. We didn't have a woodshed. But my grandfather had a woodshed. So, yes, I spent some time there. Then the Lord descended in the pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tabernacle. Aaron and Miriam, he called, and they stepped forward. And the Lord said to them, now listen to, to, to what I say. If there were prophets among you, I, the Lord, would reveal myself in visions. I would speak to them in dreams but not with my servant Moses. Of all my house, he is the one I trust. Wow. That's heavy. That is a big statement. I speak to him face to face, clearly, and not in riddles. You, you realize that Jesus didn't even really speak to the disciples much without using parables and riddles. He even tells them that. But there's, a bit, there's a few times when they say, Jesus, can you explain that to us? And he says, well, I speak to everybody in parables, but I'll explain it to you. But, th but this is, I, I don't think it's because Jesus is trying to, or God here, or any, I don't think God's trying to keep it away from us. I think God wants us to, to investigate a little bit. I think he wants us to think through and, and to dig in and to pursue. In fact, that's, that's really kind of the whole point of this message is that, that God really does, he does trust us. And he gives us a lot of stuff, but he's not just handing it to us. He wants us to do some things. He wants us to work for it. He wants us to, to process. He wants us to get in. And to, to, to as, as our tagline at, at Briargate here is, to pursue him. Pursue him is not a waiting for him just to love on us. Right? That, that's one of the reasons why we, we had this discussion quite a bit when we were putting our mission statement into that tagline, pursue God and uh, reach people. I did not use the term, most churches nowadays say, love God, love people. 
I didn't use that on purpose because I think we often process that from a passive point of view. That loving is something I can do without any exertion. It's just a feeling that I have or, or something like that. And, and it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean anything to me or doesn't demand anything of me. And the same way with love people. We think we can love people from our lazy boy and never get out of our living room. But we're pursuing God and we're reaching people. But that's, that, to me, that's a different, uh, it's a different mentality. The verbalization is, a, is enough different that hopefully it, it makes sense to us. And so God says to Moses here that, that he trusts Moses, and he'll talk to him face to face, that he'll interact with him face to face. That's huge. He says, I speak to him face to face, clearly, not in riddles. He sees the Lord as he is. Moses goes up on the mountain. He sees God to the point when, when he comes down, he's glowing. That's I don't really understand exactly how that works. And there's no way a scientist could explain to you that. First, they'd have to admit God's real. But, but the idea that Moses was in God's presence so much that his, he literally glowed, think about that. That he, that he glowed? He sees the Lord as he is. So why were you not afraid to, to criticize my servant Moses? Now, when I, when I see this statement here, of all my house, he is the one that I trust, I, that, that really caught my attention. And so I started doing um, searches throughout the Bible, looking and studying this thing. You realize I, I, didn't, I didn't find anywhere else in the Bible where God says he trusts with that. Now, there's, there's plenty that alludes to it, and you'll see that in a minute. But I didn't see that just a verbatim statement. God trusts this person. God trusts us. He doesn't say that. But well, my point for this this morning is the fact that God does trust us. So am I making it up? See, here's the other side of that is when you look at the, the, the big picture of this, the fact that there is a Bible means that God's trusting us. The fact that, that um, we can be saved, he's trusting us. All of these things are ingrained in there. You, you cannot have... You can't have any of the, this, this idea of the Bible and God's Word and His Gospel and all these other things, and even some very basic stuff, our physicalness, our bodies. You can't have any of this stuff without the idea that God trusts us. It, it's, it's there. But He just doesn't overtly say it, but it's there that God trusts us. The... Um, <clears throat> the, the the, the starting point of this, and this really is, I think there's a lot more to this. And I, I know I reference this every now and then. There's a lot more that happens in these few little sentences in the garden than we really give um, credence to later in Scripture. We just use that as the moment when everybody, when everybody fell into sin, that humanity falls into sin. But, but even the fact that God creates the planet, creation, and then he hands it to Adam and he says, okay, now you're in charge. You run this thing. It's your show. Take care of the garden. Name the animals. Do whatever. To the point where, now, now think about the language of this, to the point where God only visits him in the evenings. So, so Adam is running the show all the time, and God just kind of checks in with him every now and then in the evenings. Doesn't, doesn't that kind of sound like when you're first letting your teenager 
stay at home by themselves kind of thinking. You know, the, the first time that you do something like that, and that this, Lynn and I had did this a couple of times with our kids, when we knew we were only going to be gone like an hour, so we let them stay by themselves. They were so excited. They were like grown adults. And I think the first night, in fact, our, the first night we ever went somewhere, Lynn and I went to, um, went to a restaurant in Aurora, and we sat at a restaurant in Aurora so the kids could hang out at home. It's like Lynn and I's first like just us time in a long, long time. And I remember sitting there the entire meal, and I don't think I said a word. And she didn't either. We just sat there and enjoyed silence. Right? You got teenage kids, just an hour of silence. So when we came home that night, um, we walk in the house, the kids are asleep. We walk in the house, and... We got to look at like we walk in, there's a table by the door, and there's this huge big knife on the table. And so we start looking around over here beside the couch, leaning up against the couch was a machete. Over against this wall was a hatchet. This, so I go in, and the kids, the kids had just kind of started going to sleep. So I wake up my oldest, and I said, Jonathan, why are there knives all over the house? He said, Dad, we took them all and put them on all strategic positions all over the house. So if somebody broke in, we could protect ourselves. And I said, Jonathan, I got all the way to your bed. I passed 40 knives that you placed strategically for me to have coming to your bedroom. Have you thought about this? And you could see on his face. I said, you disarmed half the neighborhood, breaking in either way. So, <laughs> we, we still make fun of them for that. But, but don't, you, don't you see this a little bit where God is saying to Moses, I mean to uh, Adam, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check on you in the evenings. You've got the garden, you're taking care of all this stuff, but I'm just going to check up with you. This is, this is one of these categories I just don't think we, we really process God creates us specifically to be in charge of things. He creates us specifically to do stuff. I was watching this little video clip this week. It was for something totally different. But this guy makes this statement in there about how, you know, we're just the, the highest part of the animal kingdom. And so some of the things that we do, we act this way because we're just the animals that are evolved. We're, this is our base animal instincts. Well, you guys know my thought on that. That's stupid. We were not, we're not the highest rung of the animal kingdom. We were not created the same as animals. We were created separately. He didn't say to one animal, you're in charge of the garden, name other animals. He didn't say that. He created humans different. And then he said, now you're in charge of the garden, take care of the garden. You name the animals. The animals didn't have a choice. The animals didn't name Adam. They didn't have a choice in this. God put Adam in charge of this. God has designed us to do that. God has designed us to have authority and responsibility. God has designed us to carry uh, the, the certain weight and responsibility in our existence. It's designed, it's, it's ingrained, designed by God, ingrained within us. But that's how we're supposed to think, act, operate. That's why there is this natural thing that happens as uh, teenagers get older, that they want, 
They want more responsibility, and they don't want mom and dad telling them what to do. Now, some of it is they just nobody wants anybody telling them what to do, but just the, the understanding that they're trying to become their own adult. God has ingrained that within us. As we are adults, we want most times, I, I've been through seasons where I want less responsibility, but, but you, you want more responsibility. You want to be trusted with things. You want that. Um, it's a simple thing in your, in your work context, wherever that is, if there is a, if there is a, like a need-to-know basis for stuff and you're not in that loop, that's not pleasant. You want to be in that circle. You want to be in the deciding circle. You want to be in the circle where people are making decisions. And this is what we're going to do, and you get to have input. In fact, that's one of the number one things right now in a work context that people say gives them um, quality of work experience is uh, that they get investment. Emotional, mental um, presence investment. I get to be a part. They care what I think kind of thing. Well, that's God has, has designed us this way. He's built us this way. And now the other side is he then expects us to do certain things with, with this. So I, uh, I put this in a, in a few categories just to kind of process through. The fact that, that God does trust us and all this stuff, you understand also that Satan really hates this. You know this, right? You've got, to, you've got to keep this in your mind. Satan does not like it when you take responsibility for you and your spiritual walk, your relationship with God, your family. He does not like it when you take that kind of responsibility. Because that you begin to change when you start taking responsibility. And this is, this is one of those things that I, I, I kind of pick on regularly because I, I, I think we just got to a culture in American church where we hire the pastor to do the, the, the stuff. And, and everybody defines the stuff a little differently. But in a big sense, uh, I, as the pastor, my responsibility is to do all the spiritual stuff so you don't have to. As you, you know that's not right. You know that's unhealthy for you and me both. You've got to work out your own salvation. You've got to figure out what God is saying to you. You've got to get in the Word. You've got to process this. My responsibility is to give us stuff to work with and to try to help develop us in that. But it's not to, to do it. If the only time you ever, quote-unquote, crack the Bible is on Sunday mornings, come on, that's not maturity, that's immaturity, that's baby stuff. You, you need to be getting your word daily. You need to be, be processing, what is God saying to me? What is he telling me, or my family? What is he telling us over here? If the, the only time you pray is over dinner and at church, there's something wrong. I, I had some cousins when I was late teenager, they're about my age, early adult, that they were so, they were so, you know, like bragging to me one day. They're like, you know, we don't pray over our meals anymore. I'm like, okay. I said, we pray over all of our groceries as we put them in the cabinet. They were dead serious. We, put, we pray over the groceries when we put them in the cabinet. Therefore, we don't have to pray over our meals. Why? Is it killing you to pray over your meal? Is that such a, is that hurting you? Is that horribly bad? What if you did both? So. I still to this day, I'm like, well, I don't understand. Either way. All right. First thing here. God trusts us with, number one, his presence. This is something we did. We have talked about this um, a lot over the last few weeks on Wednesday nights. But really, what does it mean to have the, the Holy Spirit in our lives, the anointing of the Holy Spirit in our lives, things like um, the gifts of the Spirit, um, prophetic utterances, things like that, that, that um, this is a serious thing. 
Uh, now, I don't want to state it in such a way that it becomes uh, challenging for you to do that. I, I, I am going to be doing a series just in a few weeks here about the Holy Spirit. One of the things that I want to encourage is always, always be stretching out there and expecting the Holy Spirit to use you in His gifts. Okay? That's for all of us. We should all be operating the gifts of the Holy Spirit on a regular basis. Just whatever God wants to do with you at that moment. I mean, we understand what Scripture says, but don't be afraid of that. But at the same time, this is something that we've been talking about on the Wednesday nights. Is this is a pretty serious thing, and the Lord really takes this stuff serious, and He doesn't want us playing around um, attitudinally with this. This is the, the church in a general sense. I'm saying more the charismatic Pentecostal uh, side of the church. I think sometimes we take the, the things of the Holy Spirit so casually that we don't really process the enormity of the fact that the Holy Spirit is, is jumping into the middle of human flesh and existence to do a supernatural thing. That's a, that's a God thing. It's a supernatural thing. And God's going to hold us accountable for that stuff. At the same time, He wants us operating the gifts of the Spirit. So, that, so if we go into it with respect and humility, then, you know, step out there. Take a chance of making a mistake. A mistake is not the same as the wrong attitude, okay? Two totally different things. But let the Holy Spirit do some stuff. At the same time, respect what He is doing. God has trusted us with His presence, he has trusted us. In any given moment in here, when this is just one, uh, one category of what we would call us, our existence, God's presence, worship, all this other stuff. But just one category is when we get together and we worship corporately together. He has, he has entrusted us with Him. He says in Psalms that He comes and settles down or, um, or sits down or rests in our worship. That, that our worship is like a... Um, it's like a seat or a, or a hammock. That's probably not the right, but you understand. He, he, he's settling down and resting in our worship. I like that visual because God is comfortable with us in our worship. He, he enjoys the presence, uh, his presence in us and us worshiping him. It's like a comfortableness to him. He's, he's entrusted us with that. He has let you worship him. He doesn't have to do that. He doesn't even have to tell us he's there. He, there's no obligation on his part that he, that he had to give us the Bible. He didn't have to tell Adam and Eve he was there. He didn't have to show up in the garden and reveal himself to them. He could have just made them and said, okay, figure it out. And then they ate the, the fruit. Okay, now you're, you're uh, kicked out of the garden. We didn't even know God. He literally comes and tells them he's there, introduces himself, shows them himself. He tells them. He creates them. Think about this. How did, they, how did anybody know that Adam and Eve were created by God unless God told them? They didn't know that. And we see where later Moses is writing about this. How did Moses know this? Because it had been told down through the time frames. It had been told. I, I, I thought, I've thrown this out there before that when Noah, when Noah's ark happened, you realize that Adam and Eve probably died the generation before Noah. So, so about 60, 70 years, right around there up to about 120, is when Noah dies before the ark. That, that means Noah had already been alive a long time. He had first-hand understanding from Adam and Eve of God and, and the garden and uh, sin and everything else. We forget that sometimes because we don't add it up. But God trusts us with Him. 
serving him, worshiping him. He, he, he trusts us with him. That's a pretty amazing thing. L- look at this. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, he says, May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Now, we always look at it, and I always say it this way. I don't think this is wrong semantically, but I think mentally we could probably adjust this a little bit. When I say things like grace and peace, I'm saying them more like things that God is giving us, that these are, these are um, other things. It's like God, you know, if God was going to hand you a, a banana, that's, that's something different. you got God, you got the banana, he goes, hey, here's a banana. And that's kind of how we look at uh, grace and mercy and stuff. God, God's going to hand you something called grace. He's going to hand you something called mercy. But that's not really the right way to look at it. God is grace. And he is mercy. When he steps into your existence, that is proof of grace. Just being, just the opportunity to worship God is proof of grace. Because he is so big, so majestic, so holy, so everything, that just us, God allowing us to worship him is a grace thing. We shouldn't even be allowed to to, to, to verbalize anything about God. He's too big. In fact, I've actually processed this a lot over the years when it comes to when I say something to God, um, God, I bless your name. That sounds so um, hollow and insignificant to me. Who am I to bless him? When I say, Lord, I worship you, who am I to worship? It would be like an ant saying to me, Scott, I worship you. First, I'm not even going to hear it. I'm going to hear Scott as I step on it. Right? The idea that an ant would worship me, what does that even mean or matter? Or It's nothing. It is completely insignificant. I, that's the way I process this sometimes. But here's the reality. We are not ants to God. We are, his, we are the apple of his eye. We're the, we're the center of his, of his creation. He loves us with everything. And so when we say something like, I worship you, even though from my perspective, this tiny little nothingness compared to the, the, the grandeur of God, it means nothing. But to God, it means everything. I, I, don't, I really don't understand that, except that he really does love us. He really wants to be close to us. And so when we say something like that, God, I worship you or exalt you, the only reason is because of his grace. Not, grace isn't something he hands us. It's him. He is grace. He is mercy. And when he steps into our existence, that is a merciful act on his part to, to a limited sinful creation. But he loves it. And that's the part that it just ah, astounds me, amazes me, humbles me. He loves it. He says that by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. He's given us everything. He's trusted us. With what? The everything. Whatever the everything is for you, which, by the way, it's not exactly the same for me. The everything for you is different than any other human. But he has has entrusted you with everything you need to serve him. He's entrusted you with this. We have received all of this by coming to know him. Not, Not because we're doing something, but we've received this by coming to know him. It's his relationship. He has entrusted us with his presence. It's his presence that brings all this stuff to us. 
He is he that we this is by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. That's that's a that's a great way to say that, Peter. That is an amazing way to say that. He's called us to himself by what? By the marvelous glory of who he is. That doesn't really make sense unless you unless you really uh, process the transcendence of God. I can't. You can't say that about another human. That the reason that I that I call Linda to myself is because of the marvelous glory and excellence of me. Are you? Are you? I mean, it has a nice ring to it. Don't get me wrong. But think about that. That you can't say that from one human to another. Now, some humans believe that, but but you can't say that. That's not a true statement. I, I, can't call, I can't call a human being to me because of my amazing excellence, glory. But when Jesus calls us to himself, it is directly because of that, and we get the, uh, the, the privilege of stepping into that because he is the everything. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises and he can also fulfill them, by the way. It's, it's intuitive here that he can fulfill them because of his glorious um, presence. He can fulfill all those promises. We as humans are limited there too. We can't always fulfill every promise that, that we make. But, but Jesus can and will fulfill every promise. He's going to. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. You have that ability. No matter how difficult it seems, you have that ability. I was thinking about this the other day. I, I do this all the time. I, I turn on Netflix or Amazon or something like that, and I think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch a series. Because I, just like everybody else, I like to um, uh, disappear myself into a TV show. That's not the right way to say it, but you understand what I'm saying. You, it's distraction, especially when life is really building up, you know, you got, you got stuff going on. It's nice to sit and just let your brain do nothing. And TV is the best place to do that. So I was going to do it. So I, I started a TV series. In fact, I started the series. The first show I was like, this is a great show. So I texted my son, my oldest down in Texas. Hey, you should look, this is a great series. I started the second one. Within two minutes, I text my son back, scratch that, my bad. Because it's just naked people. And, and he's like, oh, was there naked people? <laughs> yes, there was. That, it, it, this irritates me. But here's the, the thing. Is I, there, I sat there for a minute. I'm, I'm being a little transparent for you here. I sat there for a minute processing this. You know why? Because I like the show. It was very well written. Was, I'm not going to tell you the show. It's not important. But I was sitting there processing my head, and I'm like, ah. But I could watch it. That's probably going to be the only nakedness in the whole show. Right? You tell your stuff like, yourself stuff like that, right? Oh, it's going to be five minutes later. Aha, okay. So I turn on, and, and I'm sitting there later that night, and I'm praying. I'd forgotten about all that. I'm praying. And, and God brought that back up to me. Now, God may not do this with you, but he did this with me. God brought that back up to me and said, I don't want you watching that show. I hadn't thought about it. But as soon as I got that in my head, man, I wanted to watch that show so bad. 
right? Anybody else ever experienced anything like this? Man, I wanted to watch that show. It's probably, this, this show was probably going to change my life. <laughs> or here's the reality. If I kept watching, I think it would, but not in a good way. And so I just pray, and I said, God, I'm not going to watch that show. It seems insignificant maybe to you. But for me, whatever reason, at that moment, that seemed like a big deal. And I'm praying. I'm actually praying about other stuff. But it's like God said, okay, but I don't want you to watch that show. Almost like we're not going to move on until you get this right. Until you and I discuss this. We're not moving on. Look, look at this again. He says that um, th- these are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. You understand the corruption doesn't just happen in a vacuum. The corruption is actually human desires being played out. That's where we're struggling. We're not struggling with some... See, here's the thing. is There's stuff all over the world right now that you can be a part of. It's evil and it's corrupt, but it's not affecting you until what? You let your desires interact with them. Right? This is his presence. His presence he's trusting us with. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, the fact that he says he is our high priest, he is trusting us with his presence. He is trusting us with him. It is Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. That sentence is so important because that means Jesus was tempted. I meet Christians all the time, specifically if you've got like Catholic background, Jesus was never tempted. Didn't explain that sentence. Jesus was tempted just like we are tempted. The only difference is, is he said no. And we don't always say no. Sometimes we say maybe. And then sometimes we say, I am all in. We need to learn to say no. Yet he didn't sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. He is trusting us with his throne room, with his presence, the innermost of his presence. There we will receive his mercy. Why do we receive mercy at his throne room? Because it's him. Mercy is him. It's him. And we will find grace to help us when we need it most. The second thing is that God also trusts us with his word. And by the way, you understand that in both of these examples... This one is so much easier to see. But in, in these examples, human beings have not always been very trustworthy with the stuff he trusts us with. God's word's a big one. We're not always trustworthy with what he's given us. This was actually, I was having this conversation this last week about this, that, that the church, we, we like to call it the Catholic church, and it's different because we've had the Reformation and everything else, but... Here's the the truth of this. It is still our history. The Catholic Church was us. There has been reform. There has been the Reformation. There's been other things, and those were very important. But that was us. The reason I say that is because the church is always, I believe, on the cusp of of, um, reenacting some of these things. Always. I've seen it in microcosms, even in my lifetime. But the church itself would kill people for reading God's Word. You would say, that doesn't even make sense. It doesn't make sense. 
That obviously means that first they were not being entrusted with his presence, because if you're really with his presence, you're not going to do that. And secondly, they weren't being they, even though they were being trusted with, they weren't being trustworthy of his word. His word should be disseminated everywhere. In fact, that's why, that's the main reason King James printed the Bible. He didn't, there's different, different historical theological approaches to this. Some people believe King James got saved, and that's why he did this. I don't necessarily believe that. When I look at everything, all the information that we have about King James, I don't think he got saved. I don't think he was a Christian. But we do know that he printed the Bible to undermine the authority of the Pope. That's why he did it. Because he knew if he could get the Bible in the average person's hands, it would take power away from the, the a central a mentality of the Pope and the church. Because they were horribly corrupt and had been for quite a few hundred years. Horribly corrupt. They were not being trustworthy with something that God trusted. So guys, here's for us. God trusts you with his word. What do you do with it? He trusts you with it. This is a big responsibility. He trusts you specifically. And we say, well, you know, he trusts humanity. I'm not that important in the thing. He trusts you. You've got to own this personally. He trusts you with his word. He trusts you. There are certain people, circumstances, situations that you are the only person that can bring God's word to that situation. And he trusts you. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. We always think about that in relationship to other people. To, because we say to teach what is true. So then the next sentence, we assume that we're teaching other people, but that's not what it says. He said God's word is useful to, for us to teach what is true, but then also to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. You're supposed to teach others and be convicted yourself. That's the pattern here. We always think about it differently. I want somebody to teach me, but I want everybody else to be convicted. It's the exact opposite, actually. You teach others, but you're the one that's convicted. That's, that's the model there. It corrects us. Us, when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. It does not say that we're doing that for others. Now, does that happen? Hopefully it's happening right now. But in the big picture, what he's saying is it's supposed to be convicting us. Convicting us. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Acts chapter 20. I declare today, this is, this is uh, Paul saying this, I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. That's a great statement. That's a great Paul statement. That's a great pastor statement right there. I have said that. I've said that to Linda. She said that to me. We've discussed this before. Linda, I'm doing what I'm supposed to. If they choose hell, they choose hell. It corrects us. It corrects us, okay? So, if anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. For I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. That, that, that's an important thing for me. I do work at that. Guys, why would that be something that I'm just supposed to work at? Shouldn't you be working at that also? You've got to declare what's true. There's going to be some tricky times when you do that. There's going to be, most of the time it's going to be, it's going to be okay or average or e maybe not easy, but it's not going to be that difficult of a thing. But every now and then it's going to be a little tricky. When somebody comes up to you at work and says, I just can't be with my uh, husband anymore. I just can't be with my wife anymore. I just can't do this. Again, 
And you know the stuff that's been going on. You know they're cheating on their spouse. Also, so do you just shut up and say nothing? Specifically, they've come to you. You didn't go to them. They've come to you. Do you say something? It's amazing how easy it is for us as Christians to say, um, well, you know, it, it, it'll be okay. It'll all work out. When, when do we say, I, I don't think this is legit? As I've said that to people over the years. I can name people just in the last five years that I've said that to that are no longer part of this church because I said something like that. But at the end of the day, I can't, I can't not. What am I going to do? Just, well, you know, it's, all, it's just here's some whipped cream. Just go enjoy that. When, when do we actually just be honest and truthful with people? They may not like you short term, but ultimately that's not most important. Most important is you have to speak truth because long term the Holy Spirit's going to use that truth to get into their mind and their spirit. Maybe long after they, you, you, you may never know them again. But the Holy Spirit's power will do that. And let me, let me give you this. This is just some, some interesting that I've seen over the years. I've been doing this long enough now to see how this works. I've had people that have been very angry with me, very upset because I've spoke truth into their life. And they, they get upset, they get mad, they leave the church, say a bunch of mean things about me, all kinds of stuff like that. And, and about five, six years later is usually the time frame. We've discussed this a lot. Um, about five or six years later, all of a sudden they show back up and they're needing my help and my advice or opinion or they want to be a part of the church. And sometimes they apologize. Sometimes they just come back like nothing happened. Okay, whatever. I'm not going to stand at the door. Nay, you cannot cross this threshold. You know, it doesn't work that way. Because why? When you speak truth, when you speak truth, that's more important in people's lives than your personal relationship with them. That's so not American thinking. But truth is more important. Speaking of love, speaking at the right time, speak it with wisdom, discernment, okay? But speak truth. Because people need that more now than ever before in our society. They need truth. Speak truth. God, God will bring it back around. God may use you again. He may not. That's not important. It's not, that's not important. I, we, we can count 50 people that God's done this with us over the years. All of a sudden, they're sitting in church again. I want to go up to him and say, didn't you, didn't you curse my name with literal cursingness? Guys, that's just me being petty. Not right now that I'm describing it. This is me teaching. This is not petty. But if I say something to them, it's petty. Okay. <laughs> the third thing, and this is a big one, okay? I mean, the other two are huge. But God also trusts you with people. And this, this, is, this is so big. Because, see, God's presence, God will take care of his own presence. God's word, God will take care of his own word. If you disrespect God's word, his word still remains. If you disrespect his presence, you're just dumb. But, but here's the thing where it becomes very uh, tenable is he trusts you with people too, and that you can hurt. You can't hurt God's word. You can't hurt his presence, but you can hurt people. And he trusts us with people. And this is the most... For us, not to us, but for us, this is the most important responsibility we have as people. This is an easy one. Look at this. 
Have you ever processed this? Um, you see, you see couples. They, you know, a couple falls in love. They get married. They're young, like early twenties, and they have a kid. My my natural instinct is, are they old enough to take care of that kid? You ever you ever seen that? Or let's say, um, let's say a, a girl has a baby at sixteen. Their natural instinct is, can she take care of that baby at sixteen? Well, the truth is, yes. Okay, that, that's true. Many cultures have children that age. Many cultures do. Some cultures have children younger than that and have done that for hundreds and hundreds, thousands of years. But in our Western culture, as it's getting older and older, we think, wow, are they doing... I've had this conversation with people that are like late 20s. Oh, we think we're too young to have kids. When are you going to start? Them eggs are getting old. When are you going to start? <laughs> Pretend like I didn't say that. <laughs> but there's, it's just cultural things. But Now, the reason I'm saying this is to say this. God knows. This, this goes beyond. This is that wow factor for me. God knows that we can handle it. God knows you can handle a lot more than you think you can handle. God trusts people. In fact, this has been something I've said for, for quite a, a few decades now. And I don't know, this, this, I think sometimes it's just a statement, but it really, to me, it really does mean a lot. I believe every time a, a baby is born, God is saying he still trusts us. Every time a baby is born, because I think the moment God would say, there's no more hope for humanity, I think he's done. We do know that Scripture, there is that moment in the future. We just don't know exactly what it looks like. We know some of the details, but we don't know exactly. But I think every time a baby's born, God is, is saying to us, I still trust you. I'm still in the co-creatingness with you. I can do this. Even then we, we discuss, you know, babies uh, born out of wedlock or babies born from rape or all these. Other, that, that, that's, that's inconsequential when it comes to the baby itself. Baby still is God's declaration to humanity. He's still doing some really cool stuff. Every single baby is just God saying, isn't that awesome? And we as human beings look too much at how the baby gets here. And there's legitimacy to that when it comes to issues of sin and stuff like that. There's legitimacy. But the baby itself is just a wow. It's just a wow thing. God, thank you for that. Because you're still trusting us. You're trusting us with people. You're trusting us with children. You're trusting. I, 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 obviously, I'm a grandparent now, and I watch this with my, with my kids, and I watch... My little granddaughter, now they're going to be having another one. And I'm watching this, and I, and I realize they're just doing a good job. Maybe not be exactly the way I would do it, but they're doing a good job. And God's trusting them with this. God gave them a little human. When, when your kids are 10, you're like, God's never going to trust you with anything like that. And then they get older, and all of a sudden, God does. And he hands them a baby. And, and you're just like, wow. God trusted Linda and I with those parents when they were not parents. I was watching something. You should look this up. Um, if you're, uh, I've talked to you about before about Candace Owens. You should go to PragerU.com and go look at Candace Owens' interviews. The latest one she did was, is with a guy named Tim Ballard. 
I would strongly suggest you go watch this, look at the interview with him. This guy used to work for the government, and he used to work for um, uh, tracking down uh, children that had been trafficked, uh, put into sexual trafficking and all this kind of stuff, and he did this for the government for a long time, but he would get into other countries and things like that, and we have so many laws. Now, uh, Trump has changed two of these laws, and he talks about this, and made it easier for us to, to apprehend um, bring back to the United States these traffickers, but it used to be very, very difficult to do this. They, the, the American had to be in the room when they raided the facility or they couldn't touch anybody or anything in that facility. So he quit and started his own company. Now he's a private contractor that governments hire to go in and rescue trafficked girls. And now he has almost no constraints. And he hires SEALs, and he hires all kinds of groups of people, and he kicks rear all over the, the world now. I was like, that's a thinking man right there. Get out of the government so you can actually get something done. And so he's explaining this. He talks about this. And he talks about the fact that over 8 million people a year are trafficked. Over 2 million of those are children. And almost all of those children are under 12. Children. 10-year-old. He said the average age, when you go into these um, places, they, they, sometimes they'll call them orphanages, all kinds of stuff, but they basically are just kids for sale. He explains one of these, what he went into with the undercover camera. And, 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 and um, I, won't, I would like you to watch. I'd like you to, I would ruin it if I said some things right here. How many of how many you think you'll watch this? Go on, okay, then I won't ruin it for you. He goes in. Okay, so. But he goes in, he's looking, and he said most of these kids, when he goes into those places, are five, six years old. These are, these are being sold. When he walked in, they said, would you like to buy one of our children? $10,000. Now, what are grown adults buying children that are five years old for $10,000? Because they're perverted deviants. That's what they're doing with these kids. And he talks about this, that, that this trafficking thing is so horrible. And I was processing this because I watched his interview the day after the Super Bowl. Anybody know where I'm going with this? Hollywood talks about how we should not objectify women. And that Super Bowl halftime show the only other place in society right now you can watch that halftime show is in a, in a topless bar. It was porn. Pole dancing, porn. That was the halftime show. And we talk about how we're not objectifying women. Do you realize that the Super Bowl is the number one day in the United States for trafficking, sexually trafficking uh, girls? Number one day. And at halftime... They're, they're, they're giving them everything they need to practice later. This is, this is disgusting. God has trusted us with people. And we're abusing these people. We're abusing. Now you say, well, those, those girls, the, uh, Jennifer Lopez and um, whatever her name is. Yeah, that girl. You know the sad part about it? Just just me right here now. Those are two very gifted girls. Why do they have to act like that? That's the only way you can sell records? Those are very gifted. That, that um, Shakira, man, that girl's talented. Why do you have to pole dance? 
And, and, we, and we, we are fueling, we are fueling this, this sexually deviant trafficking that goes on around the world. We're fueling it. Tim Bowler in this video, he talks about the number one, he said, hands down, nobody in the world even comes close. The number one um, um, uh, taker, partaker of child porn is the United States of America. Almost all child porn around the world uh, comes to America. Guys, God's going to hold us accountable for this stuff. He has trusted us with people. Matthew chapter 18, verse 5, And anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. But if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. I'd like to do a couple surgical procedures before they get thrown into the sea. You following me? This is disgusting what we do with these little kids. And our country just pretends like it doesn't exist. Lynn and I stopped watching pro football. We hadn't seen it. The Super Bowl is the only game I've seen in two years. And this is the reason. Two basic things. They've been attacking cops. The NFL has been attacking cops. And I can't stand that. Those cops protect us. I don't care if you like them. I don't care if some of them are dishonest. Those cops are protecting us. And I'm not going to let a whole subculture attack them. And society goes, oh, yeah, you're right. The second thing is, is it's turned into a pathetic wife-beaten thug perversion group. And I just, I'm not going to be a part of that. I just can't do it anymore. I haven't watched football in two years. And Lynn and I used to be adamant fans. And so I turned the Super Bowl on. I'm like, ah, this is why I quit watching. And I walked away. She kept watching. <laughs> she watched the whole game. Why don't you stand with me? You guys, here's another big one. God trusts us with unborn children. God trusts us with unborn. Linda, I'm sorry, you don't have to. Guys, God trusts us with little babies. Unborn kids. Men, God trusts you with women. Respect them. You understand that that Super Bowl halftime was driven by male. It wasn't driven by female. It's not like a bunch of women are sitting around like, this is what we want to see. It's because of, it's because of us, guys. We've got to respect women. God's given them to us. God's given you your neighbor. God's given you your coworker. He trusts you. He's given you intelligence. He's trusting you with intelligence. He trusts you with competencies and abilities. Some of you have insight into certain things that other people just don't. God trusts you with this. God trusts you with things that are just completely unique to you. He trusts you. Now, here's the biggest reason. Because he loves you. Whatever, whatever, whoever you are, whatever you are, just give yourself to him. That's the greatest gift you can do. You trust me, I give myself to you. I just give myself to you. Let's pray. God, we, we submit ourselves to you. We submit ourselves. Lord, you're the king. And as the king, you deemed it that we should have you. You decided that we should have your word, the story of you. 
You decided that we should have relationships. You put us on this earth. God, you trusted us with so much. You trusted us with our children, family. You trusted us with money. You trusted us with competencies, abilities. God, you trusted us. You're so big. We don't deserve it, but Lord, you still give us. You still give, 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 give to us. Lord, we are humbled by that, and we thank you. Lord, and the only thing I have in response is I give you me. I give you me, Jesus. I give you me. Every gift I have, I'm going to try to use it for you the best I can. Every ability, I'm try to use it for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my thoughts and I'm going to bring them into obedience to you. I'm going to take my time and I'm going to bring it into obedience to you. My energies, the words coming out of my mouth, I want them to please you. You trusted me, so I give you me. Lord, you've trusted me to be a parent. Now you're trusting me to be a grandparent. Lord, I give you me. You trusted me to be a pastor. You trusted me with these people in this room. So I give you me. I give you me. God, you've trusted me with, with culture. God, I'm going to push back against the stuff I'm seeing in culture. I'm going to push back against perversion. I'm going to push back against immorality. I'm going to push back against just the deviancy that, that human beings can be so strong with. Lord, I'm going to push back because you've trusted me. So, Lord, forgive us. Wash us clean, cover us with your blood, make us right with God. Lord, we're going to serve you the best we can our entire life. In Jesus' name. Amen. So if you can be here after second service, we definitely want to have you here. But if not, just be praying for Sam and Maricel Castillo. Be praying for 